Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Today on Exploring Missions, we're very excited to hear what God has done, but also what God is doing. You know, God is unique in that, that we have a hard time connecting those dots, but uh, God being eternal as he is and timeless as he is, uh, we can learn a lot uh, by just watching him uh, do what he does. We need to remember what Henry Blackaby said, find out where God is operating and working and join him. And we're going to be talking about that today. Nathan, God is at work in, a, in the darkest times. Really, that light shines brighter, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. You know, we might not always can trace where God is working and and follow his hand. Uh, he's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Um, but even in the dark times of our own lives, um, we can have confidence that, you know, that God is working and God is moving and God is um, calling us to himself, but also to, to be used in this world. And, you know, he might be working in a dark place in this world, spiritually speaking, um, kind of underground for a while. But just like a seed stays underground dormant for a period of time, there will be fruit. And so we want to be faithful in the work that God's called us to. Well, today we have a guest with us that we've been excited about and arranging for him to come and be in the studio so we could, uh, you know, have this time together. Dr. Stan May, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Dr. May, welcome. Thank you, sir. It's such a joy to be with you. And Nathan, thank you for the opportunity. Well, uh, this morning, uh, Dr. May did our devotional here at AFA, AFR, and he uh, did a great job. Revelation chapter 5. If you don't, uh, if you want to worship and see what worship should be, uh, read Revelation chapter 5. Nathan, uh, every, every tongue, every tribe one day is going to sing this unique song that we have. And uh, praise the Lord. Uh, you and I, uh, I can't wait for that day because I've never been able to sing on key. Uh, but in heaven up there, I think I'm <laughs> going to I'm gonna be right in, right out there with them singing to the glory of God. It's going to be a great day one day, isn't it? Amen. It sure will be. And uh, it's a sure thing, you know, that that's promised in God's word. Um, and, you know, it's a mission that we're given that that cannot fail. So, you know, to see all the peoples of the earth uh, singing praises to the lamb, being able to join in with that. And, but also on the front end, you know, even now uh, we have opportunities to uh, to speak the praises of Jesus to those peoples who have not heard yet. Amen. Well, we want to talk about that. Dr. May, it is a joy to have you here. And uh, let me say also your teaching at Blue Mountain College, that's Nathan and mine, alma mater, and my wife's, Nathan's mom. Uh, we're all graduates of Blue Mountain College, and you're teaching missions there. Yes, sir. And uh, that's just new, isn't it? Yes, sir. It's a new program that they 
established to go along with the Bible department. Dr. Meeks invited me to come and uh, to help them create a missions minor for students who are interested in missions. So in North Mississippi, if you're interested in studying missions, we have now the opportunity to have a missions minor. Uh, we teach intercultural communication and cultural anthropology courses like that to prepare people for the field. Amen. And hey, not just Northeast, Mrs., uh, uh, Blue Mountain's a neat place. And when I was there, we had people from different states, different nations. So if you hear this and you want to check out about Blue Mountain College, you can go online, find out about it. They do have a great Bible department. Amen. Yeah, they really do. We've had Dr. Mims on, uh, talked to Dr. Meeks, and these are all professors there. And uh, Dr. Thomas Majors, I uh, he interviewed me three or four times when he was there as a student because he would come and interview me because of different projects. So we do we do promote Blue Mountain College here on this program a little bit because there we have and it's a little bit selfish interest. But anyway, we're glad you're there. But we want to concentrate on your mission service. Uh, in Africa a few years ago, and we're just letting everybody know this is going to be a two-weekend uh, program. We're going to interview Dr. May this weekend, and uh, so you'll want to tune in the next weekend so you can hear him as well finish his story. But tell us a little bit about your calling uh, to, to the mission field, uh, God preparing you, God calling you, and just take us through a little bit of that journey. The reason I want to do this uh, God's calling for us to serve is for everyone, but then God specifically has for us some things to do that is just for us. Tell us about that story. Well, as you said, God's calling is very specific. The one joyful thing is God has missions for every believer, but God calls some people specifically to the mission field as career missionaries. I grew up in Memphis. I attended a Southern Baptist church growing up. Uh, it was a wonderful church that taught the Bible, preached the Bible, and I, I made a profession of faith, but I, I, at 19, I realized I did not know the Lord, and I came to uh, saving faith in Jesus Christ and calling him Lord of my life at 19. He changed my life. Within just a few months, I sensed a call to ministry. I knew that the Lord had called me, and the fact that Jesus was Lord meant that I was going to obey that call. I left a uh, job that I was already in that I loved, walked away from it, and we had a very secure future, but walked away from that to pursue the call of God, went back to school, worked on, finished my bachelor's and my master's, and in my master's program, I had professors, as you mentioned, Dr. Dick Henderson and Corky Ferris and men of God who had been missionaries and missions bled through every course that I took. God began to work in my heart, and I remember one day God broke me. One of my professors, uh, Dr. John Floyd, opened up his Bible in chapel, and he said, I have in my hand today two letters. I have a letter from the president at that time of the Foreign Mission Board of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention at that time, that said that the net gain of missionaries for the last year, now net gain is, is all those who have gone out, minus those who have retired or died, the net gain was two. And I, and I have in my other hand a letter from the Apostle Paul. And it did then what it, what it just did again. It, it broke my heart. It reminded me that we're not going to win the world to Jesus by sending two extra missionaries a year. And God confirmed what he had been speaking in my heart, and 
put a call on my life and used Psalm 2.8, said that, uh, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And I began to pursue seriously the call of God. I went to pastorates and was in contact with the International Mission Board. And then after a few years, the doors opened for us to go with the, with the International Mission Board to uh, the country of Zimbabwe in southern Africa. It was a wonderful experience. It was hard. Uh, we, we knew we were called. My wife had been uh, had a call to missions in her own right. In fact, she was serving as a missionary in Israel, and I flew over there and asked her to marry me. Wow! Uh, we never, we never dated. I'm, I'm not for or against dating, so don't, don't, don't. I don't build a strategy on that. But for us, the Lord God's, brought us. God's calling is unique. I don't care who you are, or where you are. God's calling is unique. Amen. And and, but for us, He brought us together, and, and we just celebrated our 39th anniversary. So we we think it was the right thing. We think it's stuck, and we're and we. Uh, she she had a call to missions as well, and as we began to pray together, uh, we didn't want to go to Zimbabwe. I didn't want to go to Africa. I uh, I wanted to go somewhere where I thought it would be easier. I wanted to go to Europe or someplace safe. And a friend of ours came from the mission field, and we had him speak in our church. And he was a missionary in Zimbabwe. And as I heard him speak, God just spoke to my heart clearly that that was where I was supposed to go. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I knew that I was fighting against the call of God. And when I said yes to God, uh, there was a new joy and a new opportunity and a door opened that had not been opened. And God allowed us to go serve him in the city of Bulawayo to work among the Amandabeli people. Uh, to learn the Isindabeli language. It's one of the unique languages of the world. There are there are 850 languages in Africa alone. 800. Say that number once again. There are 850 languages on the continent of Africa alone, 850 unique tribes. And if someone, someone drew a map that said if Africa had been broken up not by nation states but rather by tribes, there would be 850 unique groupings. But I worked with the Amandabeli people. They... Uh, they lived in southern Zimbabwe. Bulawayo was the capital of Matabeliland, is what they call it. And they speak one of the fun languages of the world. It's not easy to learn, but for example, the word for skunk is, uh, it's been, the, the language has been reduced to writing and using uh, Roman characters. The word for skunk is spelled I-Q-A-Q-A and pronounced ikaka. Uh, it's one of the click languages. So Say we, that again. I can hear that click. Right. It is ikaka. Okay. And the practice phrase, which I never worked into a sermon in all my years there, is the skunk goes, it means the skunk, and the skunk goes jumping on the little hills. And that phrase is and that's a real language, <laughs> a real sentence. But now, listen, I, you who are trying to adjust your radio because of the clicking, no, it doesn't. That is the language. Uh, Nathan, when I, I hear that, someone that is not uh, linguistic, Bert Harper, and uh, he's talking to someone, Dr. May, that has this down. I'm amazed at that. I, that's that's kind of a gift of God, too, isn't it, Nathan? It is. And, you know, I have not studied linguistics, but I have, a you know, a few friends who have and different types of there's tonal languages, and I'm not sure uh, specifically what you would call or categorize this language as, but, um, you know, there's scales of, of language learning, some on the difficult and some on the uh, a little simpler side, 
And English is not the simplest language <laughs> to learn, but it's on, it's on the easy side, believe it or not. Oh, wow. So some of us who struggle in English, it's a real, it's a real challenge to learn other languages. It is. Go ahead with your story. I, I just had to, that was fun. So. No, no, and it was, I, I was grateful. That language took uh, several years to, to learn, but eventually I got to the place where I would preach out in the rural areas with people and not use any English for days at a time, just being with my people and working with them. The Lord allowed us to go there uh, to serve among the Amandabelli people, to build some great relationships. My wife, we lived in a large city. Bulawayo is a city of about a million people. And inside the city, my wife began to do discipleship with women's groups, uh, working with ladies uh, and and even some mixed groups and began to disciple people that were hungry for discipleship. And she began to train them and grow them in the grace of the Lord. And we began to go out in the rural areas. I was working out in the rural areas where the gospel had not been preached. And I was able to go to many villages that had nominally uh, had heard about Catholicism, but really they had never heard of Jesus. And I was able to be the first person to tell many people about Jesus and to preach the gospel to them in any in any clear way. The Lord began to do a good work in our second term. We were there for two terms. Uh, the Zimbabwe government made a decision to uh, push out about 25 units in our while we were there, and we were one of the casualties, and the Lord brought us home, and I worked on my degree and began to teach missions, and I know the Lord brought me home, but I was happy in there, and God was at work. I'll tell you two or three fun stories. We went out to a village one time, and uh, a little place called Greenlight Mine was the name of it. And they uh, they were wanting to know about the gospel. And we began to preach and teach in this little hut. About 50 people would gather in a hut. And after a few weeks, we were able to start, see a church planted there with 11 adults we baptized. We were baptizing them in the finger of a lake. <laughs> and I saw a dog standing up on the point of the finger. And I said, what's the dog doing? And they said, he's watching for crocodiles. <laughs> and I started baptizing the people a little more quickly. I uh, bet. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that church is still going on today. We were able to see several church plants that are still going on today. We started some, and any church planter will tell you that about 50% of church plants do not survive over time. But uh, some other brothers took up the work that were national brothers, took up the work and and kept training those churches. And we were able to go out into areas where God opened up doors for sharing the gospel, training leaders. I was able to utilize TEE, which is Theological Education by Extension, and train young men and and women in both church leadership roles and then pastoral roles, men as pastors, and they began to grow in their faith in Christ Jesus. And it was really fun to watch to see churches begin to be planted and flourish and then to help believers. Uh, I was able to teach experiencing God to oh, wow. pastors from about 25 different denominations in Bulawayo and God used that to bring a unity among the different denominations, uh, a, a focus upon Jesus, uh, an anticipation to look to see where God is at work and join him. We saw God answer some amazing prayers. We saw God bring some uh, precious unity in 
the differing denominations and just to see the Lord at work. It was it was an incredible time. It was uh, I cannot thank the Lord enough for allowing me to go to Zimbabwe and serve Him there. That was uh, what I dreaded became to be what I loved, and I grieved when I left. In fact, my children so grieved when we left that they still called Africa home, and they said, why do we have to go back to this country? Why can't we live at home? Our guest today is Dr. Stan May, is pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Olive Branch, Mississippi, just right outside of the Memphis area. I want to make this transition, Nathan, because a lot of times when God— takes you away from some place. He's got some place for you to go. We, You know that. I've experienced that. And so I could not help but think of, of Paul on his second missionary journey when he was determined to go north. The Spirit hindered him, and he said, I'm not going to give up that easy. And he tried again, and the Spirit restrained him. And then that night, he got the Macedonia call. So those calls uh, can come to us usually— as a door closes, another one opens, doesn't it? So with that in mind, uh, Dr. May, let's make that transition because I wanted to talk about Emmanuel Baptist Church. One of the things Nathan and I really try to stress on this program is a church being missional. Tell us that transition. Uh, I know you taught uh, before you went to Emmanuel, but I do want to hear that story about a manual and its mission focus and have and being missional purposefully. Well, one of the joys of, of my life was I came back and I finished my doctorate and then was invited to teach on the faculty. And the faculty encouraged, the school encouraged uh, serving as a pastor as well or interim work. So I went to Emmanuel Baptist Church in 2000 as the interim. And the church had been had a great pastor, but it had a checkered past. And there had been some conflicts, and the pastor was leaving to go conflicts on Conflicts in a Baptist church? I know that's hard to believe, okay. but it actually happens. We're saying this with a smile. Right. So we know. Go ahead. So uh, I, I was able to go in at a time when the church was a bit down. The pastor had left that they loved and gone to another place. And I began to preach encouraging mission messages. The church— uh, was what I did not know at the time. We were about $350,000 in debt. Uh, they were not meeting budget. And my coming was at God's timing. I began to preach these encouraging messages. We began to develop a pattern of going out in evangelism every seven weeks. We called it East Sunday. We would set aside. We would have lunch together as a church family, cancel night services, but go knock on doors. Just go invite people to Emmanuel, share the go- attempt to share the gospel with our neighbors. And the church began to have a, a sort of a, a revival. And we began to preach missions messages. Well, I went in July, and about that time of year, we moved toward Christmas. And for those of you who are not familiar with Southern Baptist work, Southern Baptists have an annual Christmas offering. They call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in, in honor of a great missionary lady, Lottie, uh, Charlotte Diggs Moon, Lottie Moon, and... Missionary to China. Right. Okay. Right. And so Miss, uh, and so the offering was named in her honor, and this church wasn't taking one. They would take every year at Christmas. Now, they gave to the cooperative program. They gave to missions, but they didn't take a missions offering. Every year, they gave to what they called the greatest gift to catch up on the budget. So I said, what if we just pray about missions? And we began to pray about giving a missions offering, and I challenged them. And I had a deacon stand up in a business meeting, and I said, I said, what, what goal should we set? 
Now, we were about 120 people. And for most people, that would be a, a, a – that's not a large group. And he said, Brother Stan, I think we should set a goal of $10,000. Well, fortunately, uh, in my heart, I went, that's a good goal. Uh, that's a good goal because all I could think was, that's a dream. Yeah. But it wasn't. The people prayed, they got excited, they gave, and they gave $12,500 that year. The next year, we had a revival with Dr. Gray Allison, and we saw 15 adults come to Christ, and the church caught fire. Uh, God began to lead us to give sacrificially. The church caught the vision of giving to missions. Uh, When we had fun stories where we, we were able to get out of debt five years early, not by focusing on debt, but by focusing on giving to missions. And and God proved Matthew 6, 33, which is a church verse that Jesus said, you know, that uh, if seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And we saw that as a church verse, and we began to embrace that. One year, we couldn't decide. First year ever, we couldn't decide on a goal. It was very frustrating. Normally, business meeting was smooth and goal came up, but we had some strange discussion. So we postponed for a month and prayed. And one of the ladies stood up in our church and she said, Brother Stan, I, I, I make a motion that we set our goal at $43,250.75. And I said, okay, well, let's not be, let's not just give us a general figure. Let's be specific. And she laughed and she said, I said, where did you get that from? She said, that's the figure that it costs to keep one missionary on the field for a year. And everyone said, amen. And we passed that goal. And our church would average around 180 in morning worship. And we began to give about 70,000 a year to our, what we called our global missions offering. 90% went to Lottie Moon, 10% went to North American missions to reach the 5% of the people on the planet that live in our country and many of those who are unevangelized. And God moved in our church. People became excited. We had mission. We had families called to go to the mission field. We have uh, deacons that served in China, staff members that served in China, staff members still serving in Mexico, staff members that went. To, we had three different families go to China and serve. Uh, so God did amazing works of calling people out and sending them forth to missions and giving our church a passion to see the world reach for the gospel. When I hear a story like that, Dr. May, uh, when a church that has gone from being complacent, uh, we call it, you know, just plateaued. That's what happens to a lot of churches. They start their birth, just talking about church plants. When that church plant happens and, and it takes place, it grows, but then it plateaus, and then it goes into decline. So when you came to Emmanuel, at least it was in the plateau experience, at least Correct. we know that. And you were able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to reignite that passion for for people locally. I noticed one of the first things you did was call off a Sunday night service and go knock on doors. Uh, I found out that's when people, the two ch- times when churches are meeting is the main time other people are at home and we're, we're huddling. That's you, right. Is, and yes, you sir. guys broke that pattern once a month and went out and knocked on doors. That really started the igniting of people's love, uh, the church's love for people, did it not? It did. We, we began to train our people in evangelism. 
And what was incredibly encouraging was to watch teenagers, uh, 15-year-olds, be able to go knock on a door, cold cold turkey, knock on a door of a stranger, share the gospel with them with boldness and confidence, and to see us train an entire congregation. Someone asked me once, they said, does this work? And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, are you seeing a lot of people come? I said, not a lot. We've seen some. But by working, we're obeying Jesus because he said go. He didn't say wait on them to come. And second, we're training our people. I said, how many churches do you know where 50% of the morning congregation could share their faith and does on a regular basis? I said, that's we had we on some on a given Sunday we would have twenty five percent to thirty percent of the congregation go out many times, so we would see a, an incredible uh, the the morning crowd would stay and go out knock on doors and tell people about Jesus and it was amazing. Um, when I saw this though, uh, I watched our church come alive in other ways. People got excited about. Uh, not only the gospel, but about giving. As I said, people gave sacrificially. Our church, uh, while our numbers did not increase greatly, we sent out many people. We trained. uh, God brought many students in who were praying for ministry, and we trained them, and they went out. We have staff members that are serving in churches around the country that are far north as New Jersey, far east as North Carolina and Arkansas, other areas, Mississippi, Tennessee, and God has equipped these people to have this kind of same missions passion. So it's been fun. So it, this, they come out of that atmosphere. They tend to take that atmosphere with them until somebody throws cold water on them, and then they can come back and get reignited. I, I, you know? Yes, sir. Uh, but when I hear stories like this about a church that has reignited into the purpose that's this is our purpose. Yes, our sir. purpose is not just to meet and and share with one another. Our purpose is to meet and ignite and go out. Absolutely, churches they can, that can happen. Encourage those people who are listening that are in churches that are stagnant, kind of just plateaued. Just encourage them about a minute and a half to say, "Get, let God use you." Let, let me tell you five truths that I've seen about churches very quickly. Number one, churches are inward. Outward focus is both intentional and supernatural, but churches naturally turn inward. Matthew 6.33 ought to be a church verse that churches ought to say it's up to us to seek first the kingdom of God. Second, churches have become uh, impatient. They don't want to wait on God for his provision, so they run out and borrow money, build buildings that they may not even need. Ninety percent of buildings that are built are never the church never grows beyond the number that they are when they determine to build. And instead, they could give that money to reach the world for the Jesus for Jesus Christ. They are, many churches are ignorant of Scripture, and we want them to be scripturally literate. Many churches are not praying for laborers. If you think about this, Jesus commanded us one specific to pray for, pray for laborers. And when we begin to pray for laborers, God hears that prayer and ignites the passion of a church. Dr. May, thank you for being with us today. And we're going to continue this discussion today so it can be played for us next weekend and people can hear about the educational part of that that God led you into. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, sir. It's my privilege. Thank you for being with us on Exploring Missions. And we pray that God would use you in a way that you would be used by God to glorify his holy name.